We now turn to this morning's reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, starting at verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, that's Jesus, get away from me, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away and said to him, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honour, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honour, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher then you will be honoured in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbours lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Well, thanks so much for reading for us. Let me add my uh, welcome to you. Lovely to have a good number uh, with us this morning. Why don't I pray Uh, before we look at Luke 13 and 14 together. Let's pray. Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this 
huge privilege we have of um, being able to hear your voice this morning. And we pray that you would indeed revive our souls, make us wise, rejoice our hearts, and enlighten our eyes. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were with us last week, you'll remember that we started looking at this section of Luke's Gospel. The issue of the section is there in verse 23, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And the answer we saw, both yes and no. Yes, verse 24, the door is narrow. The day will come when it will be shut. Jesus Christ is the only way into God's kingdom and therefore the urgent need to follow him. But no, verse 29, people will come from north and south and east and west into his kingdom. Perhaps that yes and no is best summarised in uh, the reversal we saw in verse 30. Some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. But I guess that all begs the question, doesn't it? Why, why is it that more people don't put their trust in Jesus? Why is it that so many who are first don't follow him? Now, I take it that kind of question is is an issue for all of us, whether we're uh, simply looking in on the Christian faith or whether we are followers of Jesus Christ. It can be unsettling to to look around at what is supposedly still a Christian country and see how Jesus has largely been erased from the landscape whether it's in the the media or politics or some of the established church denominations which have turned their backs on the teaching of Jesus. It raises questions such as, well, if so many who are first, if so many influential people reject Jesus, then should I even be investigating the claims of Jesus for myself, let alone actually following him? It's an issue too, isn't it, at an individual, at a personal level. Why don't more of the people I know follow Jesus? Uh, Perhaps the colleague who uh, hears something of the Christian message, who does a Christianity Explore course, and although appreciative, actually they do nothing with what they hear. Or the religious person who at one level seems keen to investigate and, and to look at the Bible and yet put them in front of the real Jesus and they'd rather keep their religion than following him. Well, today's passage helps us to understand why uh, that is. It's vital that we do so. Otherwise, of course, we'll quickly get discouraged. Either we'll conclude that no one will follow Jesus, or we'll conclude that God isn't powerful, or simply that we are hopeless at talking to others about the Lord Jesus. Or perhaps we'll just conclude that actually God's kingdom is really not very significant at all, and therefore it's not worth investing our time and energy and resources in. So that's the issue for today. Why aren't more people saved? And if you've printed off the outline, then you'll see that Jesus' answer is in two parts. Firstly, it's not because he lacks compassion. It's not because Jesus lacks compassion. Secondly, it's because people lack humility. Firstly then, it's not because Jesus lacks compassion. Verse 31, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants 
to kill you. Now, the Pharisees are the respectable religious establishment. Uh, Herod is the, the ruling tetrarch of Galilee. He's the head of state under the Roman Empire. He's already had John the Baptist beheaded. Um, are the Pharisees, therefore, are they being helpful or are they simply trying to get Jesus out of the way? I guess probably the latter, after all, as we see these verses develop, it becomes abundantly clear that they are no friends of Jesus. He then replies in verse 32. He said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finish my course. Now, that is a very brief, a very short declaration of the fact that Jesus is God's Messiah King. Just back in Luke chapter 7, verses 22 to 23, I'll put the verses there on the outline. When John the Baptist's disciples uh, ask Jesus whether he is indeed God's Messiah King, Jesus replies, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Because way back in the Old Testament, through the prophet Isaiah, God had said he would send his king. God himself would come to his people. I put the references there. You can look them up later in Isaiah 35 and 61. Passages in which God gives a kind of identikit picture, an identikit description of what his king will do, how they'll be able to tell when he comes, so they'll be able to spot him when he arrives. And the point being, in Luke chapter 7, that actually Jesus ticks all the boxes. He is indeed God come to earth. I guess it's the kind of thing a small child might do if uh, we're out of lockdown at the beginning of December, and as Dad says, let's go and visit Father Christmas. And so they, they hit the shops or they go to the school Christmas fair, if, if that's on. And you can guarantee that uh, all that small child is thinking about is red coat, white beard, reindeer and presents. Red coat, white deer, reindeer, presents. Of all the people they're going to see milling around in the centre of London, they mustn't miss the one. Well, finally, he gets to see him and he ticks all the boxes, red coat, white beard, reindeer, and even the presence. Very exciting. Well, here in Luke chapter 14, verse 32, we have that same identikit picture of Jesus, the description of God's king, but in very abbreviated form. It means, of course, there's no pleading ignorance when it comes to Jesus' identity. God wasn't hiding his king. He's out in the open. If you're not convinced about Jesus' identity, uh, read through one of the gospel accounts. Read through Luke's gospel. Ask yourself the question, who can this be, this Jesus, if he is not God in the flesh? And then see the extraordinary compassion of Jesus as he as he longs for his historic people, Israel and its capital city, Jerusalem. Verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
a city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. They are the most wonderfully uh, moving and tender words. Picture a hen. Picture the, the shelter, the security, the safety, the protection that she affords her little chicks as they come under her wings. It's why in verse 33, Jesus says he must finish his work. He's not going to be diverted by death threats. Because verse 33, Jesus doesn't view his death as an accident, but rather as the very reason he came. It's the way his work of bringing forgiveness of sins and peace with God will be accomplished through his death on the cross. So can you feel Jesus' heart for his people, his tender love, his compassion, his longing that they would return to him and enter his kingdom? And yet, tragically, they refuse, just as they always have done. Do you see how that all illustrates the principle back in verse 30? Some who are last will be first, some who are first will be last. They are very much among the first. They had all the privileges of belonging to God's historic people. They lived in the land God had given given them. They had the Old Testament, they had the law, they had the covenants. They had the temple, and yet they reject Jesus and his kingdom. They will not enter. It's not that Jesus lacks compassion. He is longing to receive them, but they will not come in. And as we saw last week in verse 25, the door to Jesus' kingdom will close. And that is precisely what Jesus then goes on to declare In verse 35, behold, your house is forsaken. They're the words of the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. The verses, again, they're on the outline as Jeremiah pronounces judgment and exile for God's people. Can we see Jesus has wonderfully wide open arms. He is hugely compassionate and tender. He has come to seek and to save the lost, those who are far from him. He longs to say yes to people. But the day will come when he'll say no to people and it will be too late. And the point at the end of verse 35 is that although they won't recognise Jesus as God's king now, they will have to when he returns at the end of history and establishes his kingdom for all to see. Why aren't more people saved? Well, it's not that Jesus lacks compassion. Now, let's just pause there for a moment, because that is a truly wonderful thing, isn't it? You may be someone, perhaps you feel far from God. Perhaps you feel very acutely that you're not good enough. And yet Jesus' compassion extends to everyone. One of the most endearing myths, enduring myths, is that Christianity is all about being good, that you have to sort yourself out before God will have you. No. Jesus came as God's king to die on the cross precisely because none of us are good enough for God. In other words, you see, no one is excluded. 
No one is too bad. No one is undeserving. Or perhaps for others, uh, you prayed for a friend, you prayed for a neighbour or a colleague. They seem uninterested or they, they come and hear the gospel and yet nothing really seems to go in. At which point it's so easy, isn't it, to give up praying, to give up inviting. Is Jesus really interested? Does his compassion really extend to them? Well, yes, it does. So why don't more people follow Jesus? Well, firstly, it's not that Jesus lacks compassion. Secondly, it's because people lack humility. Verse 1 of chapter 14. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now, this is a very significant dinner party because it's the last time in Luke's gospel that Jesus dines with the Pharisees. It's a key moment. They won't come into his kingdom. They won't accept him as their king. They won't follow him as their savior. They are very much amongst the first. They are those with enormous religious privilege and heritage. But they'll be last. They'll be excluded. Why? Well, notice there are three uh, kind of scenes, as it were, in chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. I wonder if you noticed that as Val read it for us earlier. So in verses 1 to 6, there's the question about the Sabbath. In verses 7 to 11, there's then uh, the the whole issue of uh, seating at a dinner party and dinner party etiquette at, at a wedding. And then verses 12 to 14, who you invite to dinner. Now, the important thing to get our heads around is that these are not simply kind of nice, homely tips on how to avoid social embarrassment. Rather, what the Lord Jesus is doing here is he he is exposing the toxic religion of the Pharisees. They are those who won't humble themselves. The key verse is there in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, we know that's the key verse, because it echoes precisely the reversal that we saw last week in chapter 13, verse 30. Some are last who will be first, some are first who will be last. Indeed, it's a theme which runs all the way through this section of Luke's gospel, this great reversal. So notice then, first of all, they won't humble themselves by listening to Jesus. They won't humble themselves by listening to Jesus. Verses one to six. Have a look at those verses with me again. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And he took him away and healed him and sent him away. Now, this is a rerun of chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. Just turn back a page. I wonder if you remember it. We were looking at at it back in September. It's another Sabbath day. Uh, There's a woman who has been suffering with a disabling spirit for 18 years. Jesus heals her. The synagogue ruler is indignant precisely because it is the Sabbath. And yet, of course, he's entirely missed the point of the Sabbath, which was the point to God's heavenly kingdom. 
a place there where there will be no more sin and no more consequences of sin, no illness, no disease, no suffering, no pain, no death, a perfect world. And therefore, of course, it is entirely appropriate that Jesus heals her on the Sabbath because it's just a little picture as she is restored to health. It's a little picture of that perfect new creation. So now fast forward to chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Have they listened? Have they learned? No, verse 1. They are watching him carefully. This is a trap. It's a setup. Notice in verse 6, it's not therefore that they can't reply, it's that they won't reply. They're far too wedded to their own religious system to listen to Jesus. Why won't more be saved? Because they won't humble themselves and listen to Jesus Christ. It takes humility to listen to him. It takes humility to recognise that you're wrong, to do a U-turn and enter by that narrow door. I think of someone who did the Christianity Explore course, who joined a Bible study group, and yet tragically preferred the sort of comfortable, thought-for-the-day sermons of her local church than the teaching of the real Jesus. Or just think of some of the mainline church denominations in this country, like the, the Pharisees, so wedded to their religious systems and traditions, so much part of the establishment that they won't listen to the real Jesus. After all, we saw, didn't we, last week, how, how completely countercultural Jesus' teaching is. There's only one way to God, not many. The door won't always be open. There is a hell as well as a heaven. No, they won't humble themselves by listening to Jesus. But notice, secondly, they won't humble themselves before Jesus. They won't humble themselves before Jesus. Have a look again at verses 7 to 11. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the place of honour, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honour, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who exalts, who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, remember, Jesus is continuing to expose here the toxic religion of the ruling establishment elite. Just picture the scene for a moment. You're invited to a smart uh, wedding, uh, the kind of smart wedding that has a, a posh sit down uh, reception afterwards. You look at the table plan and you notice that you've kind of been shoved away in a corner somewhere where you'll hardly really be able to see what's going on. I know you say to yourself, I'll just sneak onto that top table and I'll plonk myself down there and I'll see if anyone notices. Well, I guess most of us know exactly what's going to happen as the best man comes along and as he politely informs you that actually the seat that you are sitting in is the one that's been reserved for the bride's mother 
and then with your uh, tail very firmly between your legs and in full view of everyone else, you have to meekly trot back to your seat right in the corner. Now, remember the point. The point is not to give us a lesson in social etiquette. It is to explain why so few people are saved. We saw last week, didn't we, that throughout this section of Luke, heaven is described in terms of a glorious banquet. And I take it, therefore, the point is simple. Will we humble ourselves before Jesus or will we exalt ourselves? To humble ourselves is to say to him, I don't deserve to be in the place of honour. I'm not good enough for your heavenly kingdom. To humble ourselves is to accept the forgiveness of sins he offers as a free gift. And that is indeed a very humbling thing to do. I think of uh, someone up in the city who came regularly to hear the message of Jesus. He was uh, wonderfully appreciative in a sense, uh, valuing the teaching of Jesus in so many ways. And yet he wouldn't enter Jesus' kingdom because to do so means I have to repent. I have to acknowledge and repent of living my life my way without God, that I've been on the wrong track. That demands humility. It's something he wouldn't do. So imagine for a moment that uh, this coming week you were uh, run over by a bus and you found yourself at the gates of heaven in front of the Lord Jesus. And he asks you the question, why should I let you in? How would you reply? What would you say? Would your answer be, would your answer begin, because I, because I was a decent, upright, a loving parent, a reliable colleague, a pillar of the mosque, a regular churchgoer, well regarded by others. That is not humility, is it? That is exalting ourselves. Or would it begin, instead of because I, would it be begin because you, because you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins? Why are so few saved? Well, because before anyone can walk through the door of Jesus' kingdom, they need to humble themselves before him. And thirdly, they won't humble themselves before others. Verses 12 to 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Notice, will you, they're simply uh, concerned, verse 12, for what they look like in, in this world as they engage in the kind of payback hospitality. Uh, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. What they're not concerned, notice verse 13 and verse 15, is God's future verdict. Now that, of course, is how every ruling elite operates. Uh, just think of the, the city dinner or the smart social occasion. 
it's all about who knows who. Uh, think of the business or the church denomination that, that simply jumps on the latest bandwagon in order to signal how virtuous they are and to make themselves look good in the eyes of others. The attitude they exhibit betrays really a heart of arrogance as they jostle for position with others and recognition. And yet it is inevitable because, you see, if we haven't humbled ourselves before Jesus, we won't humble ourselves before others. Because will you notice that the the guest list in verse 13 is precisely the same as God's guest list that we'll see next week in the parable of the great banquet. Just look ahead to verse 21. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and the lame of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Now, is it not a wonderful thing that God is like that? Isn't it a wonderful thing that God doesn't say, now I'll choose you because you're beautiful and that will make me feel good about myself. I'll choose you because you're uh, rich and that will help me uh, to look impressive and I'll gain from that. Um, I'll choose you because you're funny and that will make me look good and cool. And I'll choose you because you're successful and it will add to my brand value. No, God doesn't invite people to his banquet on the basis that they'll pay him back. After all, spiritually speaking, each one of us is poor, crippled, lame and blind. So why aren't more people saved? Why is Jesus so often rejected by the establishment, by the elite, by those who are regarded by others as the first? Well, it's not because Jesus lacks compassion. It's because people lack humility. Now, I guess for some, this is a wake-up call to humble ourselves before Jesus, to enter his kingdom while we can. We may have well have uh, questions and, and objections to the claims of Jesus, but let's make sure that those things don't become a kind of smokescreen, mere excuses for the underlying pride that simply won't repent and won't turn to Jesus Christ. For others... Let's remember that Luke is writing to give a certainty as we follow Jesus. He doesn't want his readers, he doesn't want us to be unsettled, dismayed or or tempted to give up on Jesus or to give up proclaiming Jesus when he is rejected. So let's not be concerned or unsettled when following Jesus means being out of step with the establishment, out of step with the ruling elite then that keep us from following him in the first place. And for those who are following him, we mustn't let that keep us from proclaiming the message of Jesus here in Dulwich and beyond. And especially no more so with Christmas just around the corner. I'm praying that Jesus would be compassionate. Praying that Jesus would bring many to come and hear the gospel this Christmas but also praying that he would humble those who come such that they would indeed put their trust in him. Let me lead us in prayer together.
and a, a brief silence for reflection and our leaders in prayer. A Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together? Heavenly Father, we praise you for the great compassion of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we uh, see that in his determination to go to Jerusalem where he will be uh, crucified. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this explanation, not only of his compassion, but of the reason why so many uh, will not put their trust in him. Uh, we tell you we are grieved by that as we look at our, as we look at where we live, as we look at our, our nation. And we pray, please, that you might be at work in power to humble uh, many. And we pray, especially during this time of COVID, would you uh, use it uh, to humble people? and bring people into your kingdom. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.